Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network to over 70 community stations around the nation, this is Word for Word, coming to you from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Welcome, family and friends, fans and fiends, to today's edition of Word for Word. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I'm Benjamin Norris, and it's simply a delight to continue to work on this show for the Joy Network, which has already featured some of the community's strongest voices. In the tradition of this ongoing program, I continue to look at powerful stories and insights into the life and lifestyle of some incredible people. Each week, we will chat with those in and around our community who have inspired us, entertained us, but mostly they've made an impact on the queer community of Australia. Today's guest is one of them. This person was born in Melbourne, and while you'll soon know them as a television actor on Australian screens, you may already know them as a prolific member of the non-binary trans community. Assigned female at birth, this young actor transitioned to male and has been an active member speaking out about issues in the trans community. So while the Prime Minister seems to struggle discussing necessary programs in schools when it comes to LGBTI young people, today's guest has a positive and easily understood grasp on what is a simple way to address equality in our country. So while Australia does that and continues to put a magnifying glass over transgender issues, the ABC have launched a new show, Back in Very Small Business, which features a new Aussie transgender character who I'm pretty sure we're going to fall in love with. I'd like to welcome you, and I'd like to welcome Roman Hadley-Lund to Word for Word. And if we're going to use anything, I prefer he-him pronouns over she-her pronouns, of course. I was, like, considering myself, like, I think I'm non-binary or, like, genderqueer. Interestingly enough, I, I never even considered the fact that there were trans men out there. In Australia, I'm one of the first people to play a trans person on TV. The sexuality question has always, like, I've been questioning that since I was like 13 years old. I spent a lot of time just chatting with all the other actors, you know, chatting with with Kim Gingell and, and Mark Downey a lot because they played my parents in the show. I think it's not, not no one thing that makes a good actor because every actor does something different that works for them. Not understanding things is one of the biggest generators of fear. That's the thing I really want to stress with queer people as a whole is that we're all different. Thank you for having me. Are you excited to be a part of this series back in Very Small Business? I am honestly, like, I was excited when I got the part and I've been so keen for it the entire lead up to it actually airing. Like, I've been telling people about it since I started on it and I've been telling people about it at all the jobs that I go to and basically everyone I meet gets to, like, you know that I'm going to be on TV and it's going to be this really great Australian TV and they cast a trans person to play a trans character and, you know, let me tell you about this really cool thing but I won't give anything away because it's really funny and you're really going to like it. Have you also been practising, like, your autograph? I have to sign documents at work every day so I get lots of practice. You know what's a tip for you is Mm -hmm. that the first few times I had to sign an autograph I would sign with my signature that I'd use at the bank, which turns out is a bad thing to do because then they can probably fraudulently steal all of your money that you've made from working on your brand new TV show. (laughs) 
that's that's not great. Thank you for the heads up. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> the series was originally on television in 2008. Had you been aware of that TV show before? No, I actually hadn't watched it because 2008, I was like, what, 18 years old? Not even. I was like 17. So I hadn't really, I didn't really watch a lot of ABC when I was younger other than like watching after school programs. <laughs> and can you confirm this? Really in Australia, this is the first transgender character to be played by a transgender person? There was someone many, many moons ago. She played a, a trans woman on TV. But like, you know, as a general rule of thumb in Australia, I'm one of the first people to play a trans person on, on TV as who is actually trans as well. Well, you know what? We're going to get into more about this and about your mm-hmm. character, Leslie Leonard. Mm-hmm. But right now, we're going to get into talking about your upbringing. But before we do that, mm-hmm. just really quickly, mm-hmm. what pronouns do you like to use? And if we're going to use anything, I prefer he, he, him pronouns over she, her pronouns, of course. But I've got a couple of friends who knew me when, before I started transitioning fully, I, I was like considering myself, I like, I think I'm non-binary or like genderqueer. So I had a lot of friends who would use they, them pronouns and they just sort of stuck. I always like to go and get this sorted out right at the start. Yeah. And you have to correct me through this if I get any of it wrong. It's all right. I don't have any pencils. That's why I throw pencils at you every time. (laughs) Throw whatever you like. (laughs) Now, you were born in Australia. Yeah. Victorian, born and raised. What would you say was your first memory of growing up here in Australia? I actually grew up in Mount Martha. So one of my biggest memories is actually with my my morpha or my grandfather. So being with my morpha and walking through the Mount Martha Reserve at the top of Hearn Road when it was twilight and all the possums were coming out. We had a torch and we were looking for uh, what we referred to as Nelebamstebjorn, which uh, my family is Danish, basically means soft and cuddly bear. Yeah. So your background then, is that both sides of your parents, are they Danish? No, my mum's side of the family is Danish and my dad's side of the family is English. Yeah. And when did they move here to Australia? Uh, I think mum was under the age of 10 when she moved. They came over on one of those big like cruise barges. And dad was in his 20s, I think, or early, very early 20s when he moved over. What's the backstory then to your mm. given name? So your birth uh, name? Not something I like to talk about. Oh, really? Yeah, for me, uh, very much my birth name. And I know for a lot of trans people in particular, it's uh, one of those topics that can be a little bit insensitive. Okay. How did you go about getting your name that you have now? Um, All right. So this is going to make me sound like a huge nerd. So I actually LARP. So I do live action role play. So for people who don't know what LARP is, it's basically like Dungeons and Dragons, but you dress up as the characters and spend four hours running around like a scout hall or something in character. That's cool. It's really fun, actually. And I really, really enjoy it. It's actually how I met my boyfriend as well. Interesting. So I made this character that I was playing and I actually gave them the name Roman and was basically hoping to road test the name, but everyone gave them the nickname Selkie, and so they ended up just calling him Selkie the entire game, and I was like, I was trying to road test a name here. And how old were you when that happened? Uh, I was 22, 23, something like that, when I started road testing the name, and then actually, like, started using the name more frequently when I was about 25 or something like that. That's when you made it permanent? Uh, I made it permanent when I was about 26. And what would you say you were like as a child growing up? Pretty sure my mum would describe me as a bit of a brat or a massive handful. Right. I was an only child, so I I remember being very good at entertaining myself. Like, mum could never send me to my room to think about what I'd done because all my toys were in my room and I would just spend hours like, mm, I'm happy playing in my myself. And then with your relationship with your parents, I mean, your parents did get divorced, didn't they? Yeah, so my parents got divorced when I was, I think, about 18 months old. So I mostly grew up with my mum and saw my dad, like, every second weekend. And what would you Um, say your relationship was like with your mum growing up? Mum and I, especially once I got a little bit older, we were 
like I, I always considered us best friends and like we I could tell her anything and mm-hmm. everything and we were really really close like that there was a very much an openness of like you know I'm, I'm your boss but I'm still your friend and you know you can talk to me if you have questions or she fought in my court a lot like I got bullied in primary mm. school really quite badly and she was constantly in my court like fighting the teachers fighting the principal being like why aren't you doing anything yeah and then eventually it was just like no nah, I'm gonna move you schools we're gonna move schools move to something different what about your dad what was your relationship like with him it was pretty like pretty decent like you know we were Again, we were pretty good friends, and when we when we did see each other, I did have like some apprehensions as I got older. We butted heads a lot. We were both Sagittarius, and we we just at loggerheads, very opinionated people with very opposing opinions. Some Sagittarians and, enjoy a bit of a debate. Does that mean that there was an enjoyment in the debate between you and your dad? Or I think I like I enjoy a good debate when I'm not fighting someone who has alt- like who has that much more power over me because sure. you know he's he's your dad he's mm. he's your boss and it's not fun to debate someone when you know that if they don't like the answer that you're wrong yeah what age did you start to think about your gender and your sexuality mm. and how you wanted to present yourself the sexuality question has always like i've been questioning that since i was like 13 years old I started out like I had a, a crush on a female friend and thought I was a lesbian and then I was like maybe I'm bisexual and then just like slowly realizing like I don't like sex at all I'm not really interested in it and then I think I was about 21 22 when I finally found the word asexual and I was like this is it this is me this this one right here this is this is me and mm. I was just so pleased to be able to find that word and not have to think that there was something wrong with me yeah, right. Yeah. And then about your gender identity, like when did you start sort of changing um, the way you presented yourself? I've always sort of dressed a little bit more. I dressed more for comfort than for for looks. But I also had a really big interest in makeup as well. And I started, when I was about 16, I started doing a lot of cosplay. And that's where I sort of started getting into makeup as well. But when I was cosplaying, I almost exclusively cosplayed as male characters. I was like... I didn't like any of the female characters really because I found all their outfits were too revealing or the character themselves was just not appealing to me. So there was a lot of that. And then when I was about 20, 21 is when I started going, oh, I like this whole gender queer thing, presenting strictly masculine, but still occasionally having feminine gender expressions. Then, yes, yeah, slowly just getting more into the genderqueer thing, but starting to phase out the more fem- like traditionally feminine fashions and then eventually being like, no, I really much prefer when I'm being recognised by the general public as masculine. What about when you were little? Were you more drawn to wearing more masculine things? Again, I was, from what I can remember, like what mum's told me, I was always sort of a little bit more drawn to, again, comfort clothes, clothes like clothes right. that were comfortable. So like, you know, um, my mum my and, and my dad would buy me like pretty dresses and stuff like that. And mum would send me over to dad's place and I'd be like, overalls. It's an interesting place to be in where I think we should all be allowed to just take our time to find and discover what it is that we want to discover in our own time. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing with the scare of like so many trans people being in the community and stuff, you know, like, or like, you know, trans kids in, in schools and such, mm. is that all you need to do is just let let kids do their thing. Let them pick their clothes, let them 
do stupid things, let them experiment with gender, and just they will figure it out for themselves. It's not a massive... We shouldn't be pushing kids to find what they want to do, who they are, and where they want to go, and who they want to be when they're, like, 18 years old. How did your parents cope as you were growing up? Like, with your own discovery and Mm. talking about your discovery through sexuality Mm. and gender identity, Mm. how were they coping through this period? At first, it was not great, because I came out as asexual first, and mum was sort of like, oh, okay, I guess. Like, I'm sure you'll find someone eventually. Did she not understand? She she understood it, but she sort of, I, I feel like maybe it was just a little bit did she think it was a phase? I, I'm not sure. I haven't really spoken to her much about the asexuality side of things. And my dad, he still tries to understand it, but he still very much doesn't understand how I can have a relationship while being asexual. And he questions it a lot. And it gets it, the, the conversation does get a little bit repetitive sometimes. And with the, the trans side of things, that was a little bit harder, especially on my mum, because I'd always been her little girl and... She had all these big plans for me as a female. And I was like, but I'm not. And Is there a grieving process that happens for a mum? I think well- she really did go through a grieving process. There was, because I told her when I was about 25, 24, 25, and then I moved out of home when I was about 20, I was about, yeah, I was like 25, 26 when I moved out of home. And for almost a year, I I did actually cut contact with mum as much as I possibly could. I was, because I, I'd started my hormones. I had changed my name and I was just like, I just need 100% support. And I had that from the people I was living with and from my, my friends and stuff like that. So I was like, I'm going to dial back the, the contact I have with mum, you know, Christmas, birthdays, the occasional extra phone call if I, if we need anything from each other and stuff like that, just because I needed that support, especially during that initial transition. We started to pick up conversation again after about a year and then I had a, a very bad breakup that was pretty pretty gut-wrenching for me and so I the first and the first thing I did I remember like prior to this like talking to my psych and being like I really miss my mum all I want to do is talk to my mum about these things that I'm going through and she I can't and that was a really big thing for me because as I said we'd been best friends and then suddenly I couldn't talk to her and that 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 mm. separation of you not talking to her I mean is that that was that was my sort of grieving process as well like I I, I, I didn't feel like I... It wasn't so much that I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't feel like I could talk to her. You're right. Um, because, yeah, she she was initially very much like, this is this is weird and I don't like it and you're hurting me by doing this to me. Mm. Like she's like saying, you're, you're, you transitioning is is an attack on me, almost. Well, not quite, not exactly what she said, but like that's, that's how it felt to me. It was like she, I felt like she thought I was doing this to spite her. And when I called her after the breakup, I was just like, you know, I, I've missed talking to you. And she was like, come over for dinner. We're going to chat. And she had gone from refusing to use my pronouns and getting angry every time I corrected her and not liking my new name choice to really actively trying. And she's excellent now. She's one of my biggest supporters now. What piece of information or what happened to her mm-hmm. that stopped her and changed her mind and helped her be able to deal with this better? I don't honestly don't know. I haven't actually really spoken to her much about it. I think I was just so happy to have my mum back. I guess um, she missed her person because yeah. regardless as to whether or not you were her little girl or her little boy or regardless, mm. you mean you both had this genuine relationship as you were growing up. Yeah. So obviously that mm. would be so hard. Yeah, and I think there was also she did have the support of my stepdad who 
is a lovely human being and he he tried really hard to support me while not putting a rift between him and mum but at the same time still trying to make sure that I was happy so I think I, I have a sneaky suspicion he had a bit of a hand in it of helping her come to terms with everything and yeah he's always been a really good supporter of me as well how did you come across information or how are you accessing information that you needed to be comfortable within your own skin because i mean being isolated from your parents and Mm. trying to work these sorts of things out must have been very difficult yeah i do have a lot of lgbtqia friends a lot of them are genderqueer or trans and that was very helpful but i actually found a lot of my initial terminology and support on tumblr wow yeah tumblr was a really really good was where i found the term asexual and all about like the flag and stuff like that and i was like this is a thing there are people like this like me and so you were looking and seeking for information online to sort of i wasn't even i wasn't even really looking for it it's just all the people that i followed on tumblr were all queer in some way shape or form so they were all blogging about it and i kept kept coming across my dashboard and i was like oh this is a thing and i i knew about trans people i knew they were like a thing that existed but it was not something that was really spoken about in my house a stack like general like lgbt things weren't really spoken about but i do remember like i remember i'd seen a trans woman on television and it was a really horrible representation it was like this is a man in a dress kind of thing um and i felt like i felt bad for her and it felt like a really negative representation and then interestingly enough i i never even considered the fact that there were trans men out there i'd never considered that i was like i know trans women are a thing but trans men was just completely skipped over my head Mm. for a lot of it that what i was getting from like tumblr and finding on tumblr it was just social stuff like it was social transitioning yeah right um not really i wasn't really looking at a lot of the medical side of it i was looking at makeup that i could wear that would like square off my face a little bit and um and were you doing those sort of things yeah i would occasionally if i was if i was especially if i was like if i was cosplaying or something like that i would train i would like you know contour my face in a particular way i started wearing um crop tops to sort of flatten my my bust and wearing more like you know jeans more baggy shirts so that i didn't have so much of a waist and stuff like that um and yeah and a lot of it was just very for me it started with a social unlearning of like no no you don't have to be you don't have to just shop in the women's section because you know you've always shopped in the women's section go shop in the dude section buy what makes you happy you know buy what you feel comfortable in and then starting to talk to my friends who are all super open and lovely and accepting who were and i was like yeah no i want to start using neutral pronouns i want to use they them pronouns they're like okay cool we'll try our best and they did they all tried really really hard and that helped me initially to start my social transition and feeling more comfortable in how I express my gender and not worrying so much about how I was presenting to people. And then I started doing like, I think, I think I had a friend who started his medical transition just with the hormone replacement. And I was like, Oh, I want to look into that as well, but I wasn't sure if I would. So I started seeing a psychologist and just talking to him in gen, like, you know, general kind of things. Did you initiate Um, that process of going and see a a psychologist? Yeah. I went to go see a GP and got the, the mental health referral scheme thing yeah. going and I, but I specifically after a lot of stress actually got into Northside which is a LGBTQIA friendly 
clinic in Fitzroy. Mm -hmm. So I got in to see them and he was like, cool, I know these three psychologists from just from talking to you uh, today. I think you would really do well. Appreciate them. Yeah, Yeah. I think you would appreciate this particular one. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've been seeing him for three or four years now and he's helped me so much. He's helped me with my referral for my top surgery now. So I'm slowly getting there. But it's great. I mean, it's all about a quest Mm. to find you being comfortable in society. And then the rest of Australia at the moment, Mm. I think, is just quickly trying to catch up. Mm. And some people are good about it and some people, obviously, in the media are not so good about it. But I guess from my point of view Mm. is just knowing more information. You need more information out there. I think the thing is that information is really accessible now because we have places like Headspace and... We've got minus 18. We've got the internet as a whole. Like, you can Google. If you've got a question, maybe Google it. Yeah. <laughs> and am I right by saying that you then... Do you identify yourself as polyamorous then? Yes, I'm also poly as well. So, I, if, for people out there that might not be aware of polyamorous yep. relationships, can you explain that? The other term for it is uh, ethical non-monogamy. So, my boyfriend and I, uh, we are in a relationship. And he is also in a relationship with a another woman, and she's lovely. Her and I are good friends, and we get along like a house on fire. So he has two relationships. We both know about each other, and we both are fine with that. And I previously, while I was dating my current boyfriend, I had another partner as well, and he knew about him. And basically, it's the big thing for it is is like open honesty and communication. We've we've taken to calling them galaxies. So there's a and then there's a single star, and like you you are the star of your polyamorous relationship, and then all the people around you are other planets, and then and uh, they are the, existing uh, in different galaxies. Well, no, they're like for me, like say if like as a joke, like okay, I'm just going to use a weird kind of analogy. So I'm the sun, and then Keegan is say Earth, yep, and his girlfriend Alex is the moon. Wow, because okay. she circles him. But she doesn't circle me. It's actually a really good way of being able to explain it. Yeah. Because there's so many people out there that I think yeah. go, oh, I don't get it. You yeah. know, it's a lot. Like I've had to, I've had a, a coworker who I drew a diagram for and she looked at it. She was like, no, that's too much for me. <laughs> I understand it, but no, that's too much. Um, well, I guess it's each to their own as much yeah. as you want to participate in a relationship that functions like that. Yeah. It might. That's no, it's some, definitely not for everyone. It's not for everybody. Um, I think the biggest thing for me when I started when i was started being in a polyamorous relationship was learning to deal with my own jealousy because how do you deal with your own jealousy in a polyamorous relationship that's what i want to know this is the thing people be like oh don't you get jealous like yes yes i do i am a terribly jealous person but my the big thing with being in a polyamorous relationship is i need to sit down if i'm feeling jealous i need to sit keegan down and be like i'm feeling jealous right now and i think i'm jealous because i feel like you're spending more time with your girlfriend than you are with me and, and then he can go, okay, cool. Well, let's schedule on a nice... Let's schedule on some more time that we can spend with each other. To balance it out. Yeah. Google Calendar is a polyamorous person's best friend. So, you're making it work. Yeah, it's definitely working. Something, we're doing something right. And are um, you happy? Yeah. Um, honestly, he's, he's one of the... Mo- he's been my biggest support and he's, he's, my, he's one of my best friends. Like, Is there love in a polyamorous relationship between mm-hmm. you and then her? Not really. Like, like we don't. We're not. We're not in a relationship, and uh, but we're we're good friends. Okay, like, we get along really well. That's cute. Yeah. So, like, but that's based on more of a friendship basis. It's yeah. less. Yeah, polyamory never struck me as weird because or anything like that. Because I remember 
again being like in primary school and like early high school and stuff like that and just being like you see all these love triangles and movies and tv and you're like why don't they just all date each other <laughs> what's the problem here people and that was always my thought i'm like but what if she dated both of them instead of them like killing each other over her but this is the thing is like i guess that's mm. sort of the start of where we need to mm. normalize things and just be like you know you can yeah. have different relationships it mm. doesn't necessarily mean that your whole life is going to be impacted or changed forever yeah that's the thing is like we need to normalize exploring like people exploring themselves and um no spoilers but there's a really good storyline with leslie about that that i was really appreciative and that was like i read the script and i was like i can love this so much oh we're going to talk about that a little bit because like that show has really fascinated me and i i'm obsessed (laughs) what were your early ambitions i mean obviously you've uh you've jumped around with different things i mean you obviously explored your work with makeup you've worked at medibank Mm -hmm. how did you come across acting well i always was interested in acting like I did a lot of like theatre work when I was in high school and I was very involved in in the theatre productions uh first as as a the first production at at high school that I was involved in like the big all school production was actually Little Shop of Horrors and I really really wanted to play Audrey or the plant oh I wanted to play Audrey too and I didn't actually get either of those parts and I was kind of devastated bit heartbroken but then I got into backstage work which is actually again that started pushing me towards makeup so I worked as a backstage ninja just doing all like set dressings and Mm. and building stuff and then the second all school play that I got involved in was The Wizard of Oz and again I wanted to play uh, the tin I wanted to play the tin man or the um, The scarecrow scarecrow. yeah those were the two that I auditioned for and I didn't get either of them again and I was like pretty upset about it so i was like no so i'll do backstage again but ended up we realized we needed a makeup artist at this point because we were doing the lion the scarecrow the monkeys the witch that we needed someone who was able to do all the makeup because the actors like didn't have time to to, do their own to do their own um especially if it was kind of finely detailed like the monkeys or the lion so we actually I actually ended up being a makeup artist and I had a little team. I had like two other people who the, the three of us all did makeup on the the show. It was really, really good fun and I really enjoyed it. I still actually have, I, I was going through my some old stuff the other day and I actually found I still have all the the face charts. So like, you know, this is, you know, use this makeup here, use this makeup here and like little textures as well. Like um, we made a texture stamp out of like a, out of a piece of Hessian bag so that the scarecrow actually had like a Hessian face and stuff. So like clever. Yeah, it was just little stuff. But like I mean, that. this is the thing for you is that you're obviously mm. a creative person. I am. And I, you're good at being able to tap into that creative side. I like, I like making things and that and all that kind of stuff. Do you think you'll do more acting? I would love to. I'm actually in the process of getting all my headshots together and, and putting together a bit of a, a showreel with all the short clips and stuff like that so that I can get uh, like start looking for an agent because I actually don't have an agent yet. What do you think yeah. makes a good actor? I think just sort of diving into it. I spent a lot of time just chatting with all the other actors, you know, chatting with, with Kim Gingell and, and Mark Downey a lot because they play my parents in the show. And I uh, spent a lot of time chatting with Liv Hewson and Molly Daniels and, and everyone. And it was learning different things from from them because mm. they, they each have their own thing that they bring, not just to the show, but to the table when you're talking. And it was, I think there's not, not, no one thing that makes a good actor because every actor does something different that works for them. Mm. And whether it's like, yeah, for me, it's sort of like, I, I have the, the, the luck actually of... LARPing actually really helps because when 
I'm laughing, I'm in character constantly. It teaches you how to like drop in and out of character really quickly. So like I can be in character doing, I had a particular experience during one of my laughs where uh, one of my friend's characters died uh, and our characters were friends and I cried. And like, I actually, my character got upset and then I started getting upset and then I was like actually fully crying and I was like, what is, what is going on here? And then people were like, are you actually, are you okay? Like out of character, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Like still like tears rolling down my face. I was like, I'm fine. My character is not. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, yeah. It's a duality though that, I mean, you've obviously got a special mm. gift to tap into. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing that I've sort of developed, but I think that also comes from just being generally a creative person as well. I also, I like telling stories. And having a natural mm. flair for the dramatics. I'm an app. My, I think my mum's one of my mum's <laughs> nicknames for me was Greta Garbo, the <laughs> ultimate drama queen. Talking a little bit about the show, can you please explain mm. to me? Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, I know, but can mm. you please explain the premise of the show? Uh, see, everyone keeps asking me to like describe the premise, and I'm like, it's there's so much that happens. To boil it down a little bit, it is about a group of small businesses under one company run by someone who is both very genuine and very dodgy. (laughs) That's the good thing about this guy. It's like when I first looked at it and I started getting into the characters, Mm. I was like, is this guy... For real? For real. Like I'd never seen the original launch Mm -hmm. of the show in 2008. So this brand new season that's currently showing on ABC at the moment, I was like... He's kind of grating against me, but I'm liking him at the same time based on the fact that he... You love to hate him. ...has an energy level and a dedication and a passion that makes you feel connected to him. Yeah, he loves what he does, even if what he does is sometimes a little bit underhanded. Well, the series, it's made by the same people that made the first series, which is um, Gristmall Productions, and it stars Wayne Hope in the main role. This is who we're talking about. Yeah. And he's familiar with playing this character previously. Yeah. And he is also in business in partnership with Kim Gingell. Yeah. And it's then a banner of other businesses that fall underneath that. That's correct, yeah. And you are playing Kim Gingell and Mark Downey's son. Yeah. And what's interesting to me about you playing that role Mm. is... There's a very lighthearted but very real approach to the way that they are talking to you, being mm. a transgender character. Yeah. That I think was confronting at first, because mm. one of the first gags, you know, with your character was about you having a beard. Yeah. Oh, that beard's coming along. Yeah. And then you could see him- How uncomfortable he was. How uncomfortable he was. But that's, mm. that's real life. Yeah. But I think that's the thing I really appreciated about it, because I actually- when I got the part, Robin Butler and, and Wayne Hope got me into the studios and we sat down and read through the entire script together because they wanted, they wanted, it's like, we, we want you to go through the script, so read it and then come in later so that we can sit down and talk about the script as a whole and fix what is not true to life. How much contribution were you adding to this to make sure that it was an accurate story being told? There wasn't a stack that I actually added in the end because they had tried really hard. The big thing was, Leslie's not the joke. What The joke about Leslie is that Leslie's really bad at people. And the joke about Don is that Don doesn't understand Leslie. The, the fact that Leslie's transgender is just a thing. Leslie is a person who happens to be transgender, but Don is the one who's uncomfortable and that makes him the joke. It always makes him look the... I mean, that's what I was laughing yeah. at. It always puts him in a situation where you're like... But I, I think that would be me in some ways. I'd yeah. be like, I can see that I want to be comfortable with this, but I'm obviously continuing to f*** 
fuck up, mm-hmm. you know, and this is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, like, yeah, like Leslie's, well, the joke about Leslie is just that he's a drama queen. He's Did a- they talk to you about the original character in the 2008 series and about Leslie mm. and what that character was back then? They didn't really talk to me a bunch about it, but I did get lent the, uh, the first series. So I actually went back and watched it just because I wanted to see a, what I was getting in, like, you know, what, what the show was about. Yeah, the feeling. Um, I also did want to see what Leslie had been previously and how Leslie had been previously. And they're like, we don't want you to play Leslie again. We don't want you to be the same person because you're, you've, it's 10 years down the line and you're a different person now. So yeah, that was, that was a big thing for me to, like, I really enjoyed actually going, sitting down and watching it. And the, the relationship between Leslie and Ray has changed in those 10 years. The um, father. Yeah. yeah. Um, because the first series is of course, just after, it's not long after Ray finds out that Leslie's not actually his kid. Whereas this is, you know, 10 years down the track and, and family relationships have changed, dynamics have changed, and Leslie's starting to transition. So there's a whole lot of different things that have, ch- have changed there and they're very different people now. Are they mm. the same character? Or are they just two different characters in polar universes? It's the, they're definitely the same characters. Like, for, for me, I think the way it was written, they're definitely still the same characters. Like, they, they have a lot of those same mannerisms in the way that they speak and the things that they say. But they are. It is a character who has grown and changed as a human being. Was there a lot of pressure? Do you think for yourself to play a trans person accurately in a mm. way that you didn't feel like the trans community were going to come yeah. and attack you for <laughs> yeah. being dishonest or yeah. being un- not being Be- the way that everyone feels yeah. represented? I think that that was one of the big things about coming in and reading the script with uh, Robin and Wayne was to sit down and make sure it was more accurate to life. A lot of it was just terminologies that were changed. Initially, Leslie was more focused on their hysterectomy rather than the double mastectomy. And I was like, look, while some people do go straight for the hysterectomy, I think it would be more true to life to start with a double mastectomy. And that, so we changed, we switched around what... That character wanted. What, what the character wanted and what, what he was talking about a lot more. Our initial like medication references were like all about like pills and stuff like that. I was like, it's not generally pills. It's usually like injections or a, a topical ointment. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. We'll change that. And I think there was one line right at like in the very end, which I won't spoil, that, that got changed a little bit just to because I was like, I wouldn't say it. Like me personally as a trans person, I wouldn't say stuff like that. And so they're like, cool. And we changed it. Yeah. Did you go and meet the writers? Yeah, so, like, we sat down, we originally started with, our, with the first lot of scripts, we sat down, we went through all the changes and the, the suggestions that I made, and then a couple of, I think like a week, less than a week later, we got the revised scripts, and they changed all the stuff that I'd said, mm. and made it, but kept some of the stuff and, like, made it their own, but still kept it true to life. Uh, look, I think for people out there, they're mm. just going to see this show as being mm. something quite different. I mean, the ABC are always great at being able to find different stories and tell mm. things in a very true-to-life format. So, mm. for people who are listening to this right now, make sure you get onto iView and catch up on the episodes that have already played <laughs> and, you know, what get on board with the series. It's so nice to be able to see Australian stories being told yeah. where, where they're relatable. I did get a lot of friends watching it and they're all... All the responses were like, it's so... Melbourne suburbia. It's so Victorian suburbia. And I don't like friends in, in, who are interstate watching it going like, I love this so much. Don is both horrible and excellent. And like, yeah, they're all just <laughs> feel the same way. They're like, he grates me. 
but I want to keep watching because I want to see how he succeeds and how he fails. <laughs> but that's exactly mm. what it is. Mm. What was the audition process like? What did they do to get you to get this role? So initially I came down to read out. They, they'd sent me one scene in particular and uh, it's actually the, the first scene that Leslie appears in. They'd sent me the introduction scene and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Read through all that and we did a read through against the casting agent mm-hmm. um, and uh, Robin was there. And that was great. We They seemed to really like me and I was very nervous. I was really, really nervous. I'd never been to a proper like audition before. And then I got a call, I think a week or so later, and they were like, cool, we really liked you. We want you to come back again so we can see how you play against Wayne. We want to see how you go against the lead actor. So they said, you know, so I came back in, I got to meet Wayne and we had this... Uh, we did we did a couple of scenes. We did the, again the initial uh, intro scene, and then we did another scene that's later on in the the series, and that was fantastic. It was so fun to meet Wayne, and he's got a lot of energy. He does. He's such an interesting person as well. Like he's, you know, you see him as Don, and you're sort of just like, Don is a very strange man, <laughs> like very strange man. But one way to put Wayne, it, Wayne is just a a genuinely excellent person. Like he's really really lovely, and he really wants things to go well but he wants everyone to succeed and robin was the same like you know she she was always making sure that everyone was on board and that everyone understood she was a fantastic director and she just was a lovely lovely person to work with and i felt they both were excellent people just as in a general aspect but also in supporting someone who'd never acted before and you'd never done any work. You'd never been paid as an actor before at all no, or playing no. a major role. Or playing a major role. So it was it was a lot of firsts for me. Um, and all the all the crew were fantastically helpful. And bless on all the, like, uh, all the lighting and, and sound and, and camera guys because I would constantly just pepper them with questions. When, when I was out of a scene and they were setting up, I was like, why does it do that? What is that for? And just constantly, like, because I'm, I'm just generally curious by nature. I just want to know what's going on. Yeah, and for sure. they were so tolerant of me, <laughs> just, like, constantly questioning, why does that thing blink? What is that for? Why does it clap? Why do you do that? I think curiosity mm. is what's missing in the world. I like people that are curious. Mm. I like to listen to people that are curious, you know. Yeah. So, I think it's fine for you to be on set and be exploring that world. Yeah. What are some of the struggles that your character faces in the TV series? I think one of the the good story arcs for Leslie is the initial one of like learning to fit in without fitting yourself into something that you're not comfortable with. So just generally coming to terms with finding his place in the worldwide business group. And I, I understand that as a person, like finding your place in a new workplace is so hard and it takes weeks. It takes months to find where you fit in, in the already, uh, in the dynamic that's already there. Well, culturally, when you're getting a job, I think it's good for people to work out if they're the right fit, Mm, you know? Exactly. You know, it might be the job that you want, but culturally you might not be the right fit for that employment. Yeah. Or for that particular like group. What differences mm. do you have that mm. are different to Leslie? I think we, we deal with things differently. Leslie's a lot more outspoken than I tend to be, especially on your first day. I tend to do this thing where I, I will sit back for the first couple of days and just assess the situation mm. constantly. Like, I need to assess what kind of people I'm dealing with. That was something I think stems from being bullied is also just, like, I need to know who these people are before I can talk to them because if I reveal anything to these people they may use it against me. So, yeah, that's that's a big difference to begin with, is that, like, the way we approach new situations is very different. 
Mm-hmm. What is the difference between your fictional family mm-hmm. versus your real family? I feel like the fictitious family is a lot more dysfunctional. <laughs> uh, like, my family is fairly, like, I mean, all families are dysfunctional, but, you know, my family, I feel like they've, they've managed to sort that shit out. I don't, I don't tend to pit my parents against each other. <laughs> I feel like Leslie does that a little bit and pits them against each other. Did you immediately mm. like Kim Gingell and Mark Downing? I adored Kim when I first met him. I was very nervous when I first met Kim because I was like, oh, you know, he's, he's quite, quite a, you know, a prominent Australian actor. Like, all right, here we go. And then he was just so chill and genuine and like really, really relaxed. Mark and I didn't get, a, didn't get much chance to speak until we were on set more um, we spoke a little bit at the like initial reading that we did but we spoke more when we were on set and we we spent a lot of time like between scenes just sitting on one of the the set couches or something and just chatting and trying sh- to foster a relationship well it was just so easy to foster relationships with them they were just such lovely people and marg spent plenty of time just talking to me she's like you know you're doing really well for your first acting gig and stuff like that and related you know her first like her first big acting role to me and we're talking about how that was di- how it was different and you know she's like you know she was just like everyone was so genuine mm. i was always so worried i was like oh they, what if they you know what if they're like you know completely different from how you think they're going to be and stuff like that but everyone was so relaxed and genuine and chill and really wanted everyone else to succeed and, and be happy and stuff like that and all the like younger cast members all supported each other fantastically we all got along really well we all like more friends on instagram and stuff like that and do you know is- if there's going to be a season two I hope so. I really hope so. Do you think there's going to be a season two? I'm not sure. I really, I, I'm like, I, I think it could. I think there's definitely good potential for a season two, but I have no idea. To be honest, you have to just wait and see. I have to wait and see. Who are your actors that you look up to? Is there anyone that you look up to that you think, oh, that's an inspiration? I've always kind of looked up to the uh, girl plays Luna Lovegood on in Harry Potter, uh, Ivana Lynch, because. Her sort of story of how she got the part is just kind of inspiring to me. I don't know the um, story. What did she, how did she get the part? She was in the hospital uh, recovering from uh, an eating disorder, um, quite a serious eating disorder. And she wrote to, I think she wrote to JK and was like, oh, you know, I, I think she oh, she filmed a, an audition or something like that. Like a, like a, just a, a, like a little audition or something. And she asked for the part like was like i really want to be in harry potter and she got a response was basically like when you get better if you can get better and and you you can overcome this then you can have we'll put you in harry potter and she ended up getting the role of luna and it was just like it was so inspiring and beautiful and i just i love the way she plays the character as well like that's amazing yeah it was just it was inspiring in the fact that she not only pulled up the courage to just email this person uh, email someone and be like i want a part and but also fought her own illness to get that get what she wanted and she she fought and she overcame and i always find that really inspiring and that was the big thing for me as well with getting this part because i almost didn't apply for i didn't even send the email just to ask if i could have the audition and yeah all my friends were just like just apply the worst thing that can happen is they say no do it imagine if you didn't email them i know and i can't i'm like i'm like what what where what would have happened if i hadn't emailed these people i wouldn't be here yeah well i think that (laughs) things happen for a reason yeah and i think that's obviously where you needed to be Mm. so what are some of the issues moving forward Mm. what do you think are some of the things that needs to change in the culture of australia and the way that Mm. transgender people are treated 
honestly think everyone just needs to chill out, to be honest. There does definitely needs to be more education. And what I think really needs to happen is like what we need more extensive education. The, the reason people are often aggressive in their dislike of things is because they don't understand it. So and there needs to be more information out there. Yeah, there needs to be more information out there. Not understanding things is one of the biggest generators of fear. If you don't understand something, you're scared of it because you don't know what how it works, what it does, and stuff like that. Having that education from a young age of just being like, even in like primary school, like I don't remember doing a lot of, we did like the health, you know, like Herald and the Life Ed Van. We didn't do a lot about sexuality, but like even just being able to say to people, there are boys and there are girls and there's everyone in between. And, you know, some people like boys, some people like girls and it doesn't matter. And some people like everyone, some people like no one. And there's nothing wrong with that. Even someone just saying to me when I was 14, it's okay to not like sex and it's okay to not be interested in sex would have been so helpful to me rather than spending most of my teenage years going like, there's something wrong with me that I don't want to have sex at all. Look, there's a lot of people out there that are saying that you can't be... A lot of parents don't want these sorts of conversations to be happening in schools or they feel uncomfortable with it happening in schools. And then you have... But that's the thing is if you're uncomfortable with it happening in in a school, then you have to do it. So Mm -hmm. what are you more uncomfortable about? Are you more uncomfortable about sitting down and having this conversation with your child yourself? Or are you uncomfortable that your kid's going to learn it in school and then come back to you with questions that you can't answer? And I think that's the other thing is that parents need to realise that you don't have to be infallible as a parent. You don't have to possess godly knowledge. Your kid knowing that you don't know everything is good because you can then sit and go like, you know what? I don't know that. Let's sit down and look at the computer together and find out because you've got that access. Like my mum had to download the Encyclopedia Britannica onto my onto the computer so that I could Google or that I could look things up for school projects mm. and have Google. <laughs> What are your thoughts on Scott Morrison, her current PM, jumping on transgender issues in schools, about him coming out and talking about gender whispers happening around the classroom? What they were saying is that there's an increase in transgender kids coming out. Not that they're accessing treatments and stuff like that. If they're under the age of 18, they can only access puberty blockers. Puberty blockers are reversible. You stop taking them, you go through puberty. You go through the puberty that, you know... They're not irreversible treatments. Um, it's not irreversible. My testosterone, my hormone replacement, is not technically irreversible. I can stop taking it, and while I might still have a bit of a hairy face and my voice won't get any higher, like it'll stay deep, like redistribution of fat that's happened and the muscle gain that I've had will probably reverse to some degree. There may even be a chance that I that I'll start menstruating again. You know, it's not irreversible. I could stay. I could start taking estrogen and reverse the majority of it. Do you think at any stage in your life that you'll ever mm-hmm. question doing any of that? Not particularly. I've, I've never thought about... I, I think when I was, like, a teenager, I thought I would want kids. But I think if, if I really want kids, I'll adopt. Like, mm. That's my big one. I have an adopted cat. That's my kid. The thing that really bothers me mm-hmm. is that... Whenever something in the media comes out about transgender people mm-hmm. or with what happened with safe schools, mm-hmm. incorrect information gets delivered to the wrong people. Yeah. And then they Run go away with it. They go in the wrong direction. Yeah. And then what, what they don't realise is that things are very different yeah. are actually happening. I think what, what really needs to happen is that every single time a topic is brought up in 
the news, whether it is transgender issues or safe schools or you need to bring in someone who knows it. You need to bring in an actual transgender person to sit down and talk about this stuff. You need to bring in someone who works in safe schools, not someone who's like a, a, like, you know, who runs safe schools, someone who works for safe schools. You need to bring in mid- middle people, not not people who are like high up on the list. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that with this particular article, they were claiming that teachers at school are making uneducated assessments of kids yeah. who may be trans, mm-hmm. and that has seen an unnecessary leap mm-hmm. in irreversible medication, which was yeah. wrong. Yeah. And I think what an actual fact is happening was that there was this Dr. Elizabeth Riley mm-hmm. who is working with schools to help teachers understand the terms trans, trans people use, trans people use yeah. basically just having that there and showing that how they might be able to notice mm-hmm. or help if a kid's being bullied yeah well there was also there was a very good actually a tweet that i saw going around about this where people were like oh you know trans people you know, there's been an increase of 200 percent uh of uh, trans children in schools it's like yes there was also an increase of left-handed people in schools when you stopped beating them for writing with their left hand so <laughs> yeah if you make it a, if you make the school or make make school a safe space then people feel safer and people are more open. It's not so much that there are more trans people out there, it's that they feel more comfortable being out and not hiding who they are. Like, I never... Like, I'm being in high school at one point. I think I was about 16 years old. And walking around Big W with my friend and crying to her and saying, I wish I was a boy and that I sometimes wore girly clothes rather than always like being a girl who always dresses up like a boy. And that was like, that's bad terminology now, but like that was the only terminology that I had back then. And that, and I was really heartbroken by the fact that this was something that I thought I could never achieve. And I was like, I didn't feel comfortable being who I was at the stage. Um, If you could go back in time, mm -hmm. what do you think should have happened that was different Mm -hmm. to make you a more Mm well-adjusted boy going through school all I, all I think that needs to happen is that kids need to be given words because if they can't if they don't have the words they can't express themselves and they can't if they if if you get if you say that there is straight or gay someone who is bisexual or asexual goes what am i what am i there's something there must be something wrong mm. if i'm not one or the other if you say there's male or female someone who is gender queer is like okay, but what's wrong with me? Like, not giving kids those words makes them feel... I mean, the the way I felt was broken. I felt broken. I was like, there's something damaged about me because I don't feel the same way that that people are telling me that I should feel. And it wasn't that they were saying that you have to be a girl who likes girly things or you have to, you know, be a straight person who who likes sex. They They weren't... They weren't saying that I had to be those things, but they weren't giving me any words to describe any other options. And that was what was hard for me. Like, and I said it, and I'll say it again, like, education is always the key. Trans, like, talking about the whole spectrum, go through queer and questioning, go through asexual, agender, go through intersex people. Like, I didn't know about, like, I knew there was an I. I did not know what the I stood for until maybe about two two years ago. Mm. And I didn't actually know what intersex was either until I started educating myself. I was like, you know what? I really feel like I need to look this up. And so I went on Google and I went on YouTube and I like, you know, listened to intersex people talking about their experiences with being intersex. And that's the other thing is that 
these kind of lessons, I feel like it's worth bringing in people who have experienced this and who who can educate from not just an educator's perspective, but from a personal perspective as well. Because often people who are living it have the most up-to-date terminology as well. Mm. They've got the up-to-date terminology and they can field those awkward questions that an educator who's not part of the community might not know how to field. But up until it's age-appropriate to actually introduce these topics of conversation at Mm. school, Mm. do you think there needs to be less labels and ways to describe men and women or sex sexuality like i guess people are talking about when is it age appropriate to be educating kids on lgbti i think it's worth going over terminology in like just general terminology that there are people out there who don't identify as cishet people and that's a good like let's let's go over some general terminology and that, that should be introduced in probably, I would say, grade five or six because they're going into high school. And then in high school is where you should start to get more detailed about, like, what those things mean and and talking. I think a lot of the – like, in grade five or six, I would say it's more just about being like, these are the terms and these are what they mean and that's okay. It's okay to be like that. Other than just having the terminology and a little bit of education about it, it doesn't need to be extensive education. You don't need to like go over sexual positions with them, or you know the intricacies of surgeries and what hormone what what hormone replacement therapy does to your body and stuff like that. Just you know, give them some information to work with, and then having like a counselor or, or something like that who is edu- who is more educated and who can field more in-depth questions or who has access to information for more in-depth questions or who can refer kids to headspace if they are if they want more information that the the counselor can't provide do you have a message for the prime minister who seems to be lacking in the right terminology educate yourself or find someone who can because you're not only lacking in terminology you are fueling a fire that is going to turn us into America. Mm. And that's going to be ugly. It's creating an unnecessary division in Australia. Like, Australia has its issues with, with divide, but we should be working harder to create more unity. Fueling this fire where there's there's people out there who are already scared and anxious, fueling their fire is going to create more division and it's just going to make worse. Before we finish up, I have to say, what is next for you? I, I could honestly say you could be an LGBT activist. I think that, you know, you've got a lot to say and it's such a powerful story. Your your story, you know, not mm. just transgender stories, but your mm. story, you know, what you, what is next for you? I honestly don't know. I'm really kind of playing it by ear at the moment. I would love to get more involved with, with like, like LGBT activism and stuff like that and, and get more involved in that kind of thing. I, I knew going into this as someone, as a, a trans person playing a trans character, that there was going to be a little bit of focus on that kind of aspect of things. Like, you know. For sure. Yeah. And I was like, I need to. Are you okay with being a role model? I'm kind of nervous and excited to be a role model because I'm, I do, I do suffer from foot in mouth and I'll say things that like, while it's doesn't, upset me to to, uh, have those questions asked or say those things and stuff like that it might upset another person and I think that's the thing I really want to stress with 
with queer people as a whole is that we're all different. Every single one of us is an individual from, you know, someone like yourself who is a, a gay man all the way through to someone who is an asexual transgender person or something like that. You know, there is a whole spectrum of us and we're all different. And even if you speak to someone who is of the same, who identifies the same way as you do, they're going to have a completely different experience. Have you got a message for the queer community that might be listening to this now? You're awesome and don't let anyone get you down ever because there's always going to be someone who wants to take a huge dump on you and you can just give the middle finger and back out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) Keep on smiling. Well, Roman, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this edition of Word for Word. That was awesome to be here. Thank you so much. Word for Word is presented and produced by Ben Norris from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Word for Word is distributed nationally to over 70 radio stations across the community radio network. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. 